the Dr. Payne Show is back. The phone calls, of course, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Health concerns, pain concerns, questions, queries. Want to stump them or at least try? Nobody's that, done that Nobody's yet. done that wow. so far. Let's try that. We've had um, all kinds of maladies on the air, and you've uh, you've had something to say something about everything. Yeah. Uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Uh, Dr. Payne on social, uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that stuff. You are there. And, of course, anytime, info at paincarecanada.com. You want a uh, call, book for a free consultation. What is happening? What's been happening this week? A uh, week that was, if you will. Sure, let's go through the week that was. Uh, big thing, we've harped on it a lot. I want to bring it up again. Spinal stenosis, huge. Uh, tons of people experiencing leg symptoms, especially when they're a little bit older. This is, you know, stenosis is often related to degenerative changes and as it starts to pinch on nerves and things like that. So it is more common in the elderly population, but that doesn't mean it can't happen in younger people. Right. Uh, but for sure, a lot of times I, I saw a lady yesterday actually who came in complaining of leg symptoms in in both of her legs after she walks, tired, pain, problems sleeping. And she's been to multiple therapists of different types of healthcare professionals. And she's always being treated at the legs, at the leg level. Uh, Finally, we were able to go through some imaging that she had had previously. And I was able to find, well, there's actually some significant degenerative changes going on here that would lead to, uh, and her symptoms being consistent with spinal stenosis. We did some testing just to make sure. And sure enough, spinal stenosis. So um, what I then did from there was, and and this is the, the key with spinal stenosis is the education empowerment of the actual person. It's nothing like... Like there's really this magic pillar, this magic therapy that you're going to do and you're never going to feel problems again. It's really about understanding what's going on. And so she's been suffering with this issue for, I think she said about five or six years. No, sorry, two years. Um, and so this issue's going on. She's getting it treated, again, local symptoms. She's just getting treated where she feels the pain. Nobody's stopping to think, okay, where could this pain also be coming from? We put it all together. She starts, as I'm going through everything with her, she's saying, this is making so much sense. I now understand why it hurts when I do this and why I feel better when I do that. Right. And I and I explained to her, that is the key with spinal stenosis, is once you have the understanding, you yourself make the decision on the things that you should be doing and should not be doing to either minimize your symptoms or potentially aggravate them, but at least you know. Similar to when when we've talked about headache diaries, once you figure out a triggering factor, all that really does is it makes you aware of what that factor is so that should you choose to go ahead and you know, eat that chocolate or drink that glass of wine, you know that you may potentially get a headache. So at the very least, you're prepared for it. Um, and so we went through everything. I was able to give her a lot of education, some recommendations on some self-exercise, also referred her to uh, one of our providers that's much closer to where she lives than where I do my assessments out of. Uh, I've given her a plan on how to go forward, and mm-hmm. she was extremely happy, uh, just basically said no one had ever taken the time to go through all of this. Uh, and again, her biggest thing was that she understood what was going on. And she even said to me, she's like, um, she said, you know, it's it's kind of like when you're studying for a test and you're just trying to memorize and it seems like it's so much harder versus once you can understand the material, then you just reason yourself through things. Right. And that was her biggest thing. She was just very, very extremely happy um, with the understanding. And obviously, I love to talk, clearly. Uh, so I went through all of it and I, and I gave her... Uh, what she needed to know. And, and because of that, she'll be able to manage her symptoms and, and have a better quality of life for sure. Is there a, is there a cure for stenosis, the, uh, the narrowing, or is it just management? It's often management. I guess right. you could argue, depending, you know, if it's in one place only, could a surgeon go in 
and open up that canal and potentially quote unquote cure it? Yeah, potentially. Uh, but oftentimes in my experience, once you start getting those degenerative changes going on, they happen in too many levels that gotcha. it's often not just the cost benefits no longer there. Yeah. Right? And it's not like, right. you know, it's just going to be if we did the IVF at L4 or 5 that that would cure the issue. Uh, there may be some stenosis going on a little bit higher or lower. And because the, the sciatic nerve is made up of a bunch of different spinal segments, it's very hard to say that just intervening in one area mm-hmm. is going to make a change uh, overall. So, and oftentimes, again, with surgery, especially spine surgery, it's when there's uh, neuro- hard neurological findings, like someone starts to lose motor strength or sensation um, and and reflex, things like that, that a surgeon will want to intervene. Because right. we've talked about this oftentimes for just pain is not the best uh, option to have surgery. What else you got going on? Uh, another interesting case that I saw was... Um, Similar idea. She not similar idea in the fact that she's been mismanaged and misdiagnosed. Uh, she's younger. She was about, I believe, twenty five years old. Uh, she had gone for a walk with her dog in February, and out of nowhere, she all of a sudden felt this right calf pain. Um, she thought, okay, it's right calf pain. It kept getting a little bit worse. She went to go see some healthcare professionals near her. Uh, they diagnosed her with tendonitis and muscle sprains, and they treated it. And she treated it for a very long time. Uh, it was about six weeks of two to three therapies of conservative care using things like laser, ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got the treatment, but zero improvement. And she came into my office in crutches. Wow. At this point, from a 25 year old with a simple calf strain, should not be coming in in crutches. Mm-hmm. And again, they're treating it like it's a calf strain. I go through everything with her. And a few weeks before she had gone for the walk with her dog, she was involved in actually a very bad car accident where she actually had low back pain that developed. And uh, she never thought it could be potentially related. But obviously, when you look at the nerves, again, the nerves in the low back, the sciatic nerve goes down the back of the leg, it splits, goes down into the legs, into the calves and the bottom of the foot. And so I was able to go through everything. And what we were actually able to find, because as soon as I looked at her leg, she was wearing shorts and her right calf seemed significantly smaller right away from observation. And I didn't, I hadn't even measured it yet. And I said, okay, well, anytime I hear, because her symptoms were burning, throbbing, shooting, and I've talked about this, yep. tips me off to neurological pain. So from there, uh, I then visibly see that there's atrophy, that the actual muscle is getting smaller. That to me, again, is a sign of potentially a nerve involvement. Mm-hmm. Now, in an instance like that, you obviously want to make sure that it's nothing uh, neurological that's very, very serious, like a neurodegenerative disease, right. uh, like MS or ALS or something like that. Um, I guess we're going to break and I'll, we'll talk more when I get back. And your phone calls, <laughs> phone lines are open, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. We'd love to talk to you about your concerns at Dr. Payne Show right till 1 o'clock this afternoon. Talk radio, AM 640. Dr. Payne Show and uh, tonight, Casino Rama, Toto. Yeah. I know. I just hear your wife is here. I go, Toto? She's looking at me like, huh? <laughs> Jeez, I'm getting old. Fantastic act. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Your phone call's coming up. Uh, Finish what you were talking about. Yeah, so before we get to the phone calls that I see, so uh, as I was saying, the patient with the the right calf that was a bit smaller, the pain that she had Mm -hmm. been having diagnosed as uh, just a simple calf strain uh, and tendonitis. Again, we measured the calf. It was significantly smaller, uh, clinically relevant. It was about three centimeters smaller. Uh, And then we did some testing, and sure enough, we were able to find that it's related to the nerve. Uh, Now, she needs to have a little bit further testing, so we've sent her for those things uh, just to make sure. But Mm -hmm. 
you know, I didn't finish anything. And by the time I told her what was going on, she she sat in the office and she's like, thank you so much. I'm like, I haven't really done anything yet. She's like, but this has been five months and I've just been told that it's a calf's sprain and it doesn't make sense to me and this finally makes sense enlightenment to me. exactly and right. she was just happy that she was enlightened so again we'll we'll be able to figure out exactly once we finish our other testing we'll figure out exactly uh what's going on put her on the right course of treatment and getting her better but that's the biggest thing i always always i'm, I'm always going to say it that having the right diagnosis equals the right treatment and in, this is a perfect case they had the wrong diagnosis and the treatment wasn't working of course not because they're treating a simple calf strain when it's really some type of ridiculous issue which means that there's a problem with the nerve and it's so amazing you, you keep saying that initial consultation once you start digging down getting some history well, then all of a sudden it reveals itself, again right? even similar to the the well that patient the the fact that no one had bothered to talk to her about that a couple of weeks prior she had had a car accident where she had low back pain and how it's just, you know, mind boggling to me how a therapist would have sat there and never put these pieces of the puzzle together. Even right. the fact of the way she was describing her symptoms. And again, the problem here is that what's common is common. And so you get lazy as a healthcare professional, mm -hmm. right? You see someone with pain in the calf, young, healthy, ah, it's a calf strain. She was walking, she hurt her calf that's not the way you're supposed to go about it. You're supposed to treat every patient the exact same where you want to rule out the most serious and then move down the line to right. what's most benign and most treatable. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. David, uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Good. What's happening with you? Okay. I was in a motorcycle accident about 27 years ago, slammed into the side of a vehicle and was doing about 80K an hour. Wow. Um, flew about 10 meters. I uh, got taken to the hospital, they x-rayed, and they said, yeah, you're fine, go home. Uh, I've had constant pain since. Now, in the last five years, I've been trying to manage this, and uh, I've had x-ray, nothing, bone scan, nothing, ultrasound, nothing. Uh, MRI, about two years ago, showed some additional bone growth in the area. The uh, orthopedic surgeon said, well, let's try some physio first. Hmm. And while the physio helped with uh, the muscles that, that are not atrophying, but, you know, not as strong. Right. Uh, the physiotherapist did traction on the hip. Okay. And when he did that traction, tears were coming out of my eyes because that was the first time in 27 years I've been pain-free. Wow. So, David, let's just take a step back here because you said pain. Where is the pain exactly? In the right hip. In the right hip. Okay, and so everything that you're talking about, so that's where they did the x-rays, the MRIs, all that stuff, and there was uh, never anything significant showed on those imaging uh, studies. However, you then saw a physiotherapist, uh, physiotherapist, they tractioned your hip, and that felt better? Correct. And, yeah, and the, Go ahead. Uh, the, um, the relief from the traction would last about two to three hours, Okay. and then it would go back to you know the constant pain. Uh, I'm even better than Environment Canada predicting the weather. So. <laughs> right, bad, right? Um, so, so just talk to me a little bit about when you say hip pain, because this is, uh, again, oftentimes people, what we determine to be the anatomical hip, people will sometimes point to the back, like where the sacrum is, and that's actually more the low back sacrum versus when there's true hip pain, it's a little more towards the side and into the front of the groin. Where exactly is your hip pain? It's seems to be right in the ball and socket joint. Okay. Um, the hip will actually even pop a number of times. 
Uh, I can't run. It's extremely painful. I can't dance. Uh, even walking uh, for any significant distance is extremely painful. Okay, and you have had x-rays and there was no osteoarthritis in that hip? Correct. Okay, so one of the... well. Again, it's always, you know, I can't be certain over the phone, but what I can tell you is this starts to bring me down the line of thinking about what's called femoral acetabular impingement. And all that basically means is where the hip joint is, is that there can be impingement issues that happen that create the type of pain that you're experiencing, where there's uh, some type of uh, sharp pain in the front and the groin and that area. FAI, femoral acetabular impingement, is often, there can be the primary cause of it or the secondary cause. Primary cause being actual osteoarthritis of the hip joint. That's when a surgeon will go in and actually replace the hip. The secondary cause of it is the muscular cause. The soft tissues in the area just become very, very tense and hold that joint closer than it should be. And, And in doing so, it creates a similar type of symptom to osteoarthritis. And so when you say that you were tractioned and it feel, felt better, I actually in my office will do a test for this. It's called a scour test. All it really is is I take the hip joint and I roll it around to see how it moves. When I have a patient that I roll that around and I start to feel like there's a budding in the, in the, in the joint itself, I then traction and do the same thing. In an in a instance where it's osteoarthritis, whether you traction it or not is not going to make a difference. The patient still has pain. Wow. In the instance where it's secondary related to the soft tissues and you traction and you move it around and the patient has improved symptoms, it confirms the diagnosis of a secondary femoral acetabular impingement, which is just specifically related to the muscles and the tissue. Issues, which makes sense in your case in, in the mechanism of injury that, you know, obviously you didn't break anything. There was no significant because you really would have had to have fractured or broken something in order for the degenerative changes to, uh, you know, really start to progress to something like an osteoarthritis. But most often when you deal with any type of motor vehicle accident, uh, soft tissues are always involved. So it's not surprising that there's probably just some chronic tension going on in that area that is creating that similar osteoarthritic type of pain that a person would feel, except it's not due to the actual bone. It's just due to the soft tissues holding that capsule too tight. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. 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 So, so again, the best thing is, you know, we got to first off confirm, is it that? Uh, and once we've confirmed that component of it, then we can move on. Now, the other thing that I will say is I've seen a lot of people that have been told that they don't have any osteoarthritis in their hip. And then I take a look at the x-ray and it's like, yeah, you do. Uh, And and (laughs) so, uh, you know, that's another thing we'd have to look at that just to make sure. So again, if you're interested, give us a call or I can connect with you. We have your number here through the call screener and and we can see if uh, we can figure this out. Dave, moving forward now, 1-855-55-DR-L-O-U, 1-855-55-DR-L-O-U to get that free consultation happening. Well, you just had one right there, but take it uh, a little further, right? Uh, Everyone else, phone lines are wide open. You want to give us a call. We'd love to talk to you right to one o'clock this afternoon, the Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. On Talk Radio, AM 640. We would love to talk to you this afternoon about your uh, health concerns. Ted, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dr. Lou. Uh, Hi. You spoke with a gentleman earlier about uh, hip pain. Mm, yep. I've got, uh, in my left uh, hip, I've got uh, pain. Uh, it started, at least uh, it was impact playing sports probably about seven years ago. Okay. And it didn't really bother me a lot, though occasionally... As I'm walking or even sitting for a long time, it would be like a throbbing pain. Okay. And that, uh, over the years. Now, the past six, seven months, 
it's become uh, progressively worse, especially when I'm sleeping. If I sleep, but even though it's on the left side, uh, the other hip, not the inner, if uh, I sleep on the left side, uh, it'll bother me. If I sleep on the right side, it'll bother me throughout the night. Mm -hmm. Only when I sleep on my back. Okay. Now, I'm scheduled for a MRI uh, in the next uh, month, uh, both to do a lower back uh, MRI. My doctor thought it could be radiating from there, and also one of my hips. Okay. Where uh, where in the hip is the pain? So similar to that I asked the other caller, is it in the front, in the groin area, or in the back towards the sacrum? Well, uh, no, it's right in the side. It's right in the, the side. side. Okay, yeah, right. so that's... And it's right below... It's right below, it seems right below my actual hip, and it radiates sometimes right down to above my knee. Right above the knee, okay. Yeah, so oftentimes, again, when it's true hip pain, it tends to be very much anterior, which means in the front and in the groin and down the front of the leg. Once you start dealing with the back and the side, uh, although it's still the hip area, uh, it starts to lead me to different causes such as potentially the low back, the glute musculature, the IT band, things like that. Um, did you ever do any therapy uh, after this started, Ted? No. 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 Yes. Yeah, yeah, and so that's that's a big component of these types of injuries. Anytime there's a physical type of injury, there needs to be a physical type of intervention. And the sooner that you do that intervention after the the trauma, usually the better the outcomes. When you don't do those things, what ends up happening is your body will try to heal that area on its own. Now, the body uh, does its best. You know, we're designed for about 10,000 years ago. And so what it'll do, it'll, it'll lay down scar tissue and it makes that area... Um, you know, quite strong, but not necessarily good for function. And because we live much longer than we did 10,000 years ago, what ends up happening is that faulty mechanism of of healing actually starts to hinder function and create pain syndrome. So oftentimes in these instances, that's where the early intervention from a physical perspective is so very important. And it's not uncommon to hear cases such as yours, where there's no real intervention, no physical intervention done. Um, and then the issue keeps getting worse, worse, and worse. Now that doesn't mean that sitting here today, nothing can be done, but you do have to accept that, you know, at this point it is a chronic issue. It's been going on for a long time. Uh, and you know, that just means that the treatment will take a little bit longer than it would have, uh, had you treated it when it first happened. But it seems like it's a very, very physical problem. My initial guess would be that, um, the imaging that you're having is probably not going to reveal uh, too much. The other thing with imaging that I have a problem with is oftentimes people will just say, okay, I got pain and you're talking to a doctor and they say, fine, we'll send you for an MRI or we'll send you for an x-ray. You should be really trying to correlate it with a physical exam. So has anybody ever done any physical exam on that area of the body first? No, no, and no. so, and that's what I mean. That would wow. be much more important. You do the physical exam on that area of the body. That starts to point you in a direction of what this could be or could not be. And then from there, you say, you know what? We probably need an MRI to rule this in or to rule it out, just to be certain. So uh, again, imaging is is great. It's very very helpful, but it needs to correlate with the clinical symptoms. And the problem is, is whenever you do imaging, you know, 
we're all we all have what's called anomalies things that are different or things that sure. you know we're always going to find something it's very rare that you take an x-ray or an ultrasound and you get back a report that says totally perfect nothing is wrong yeah, superman yeah exactly you might still see something that says oh mild disc bulge or you know a little bit of arthritic change here that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the cause of your pain if it's not related to a physical exam so i'm all, all, always very very or i always encourage patients to be very, very cautious when a doctor is only, or any type of therapist is only talking to you uh, and not actually doing any type of physical exam to correlate that imaging with the physical exam. So, you know, it is good that you're getting it done, but when you have it done, uh, come see me. We'll all, I'll correlate it with the physical exam and we'll figure out uh, what's going on. So things that the, the pain is uh, sort of nighttime when I'm lying down, I have no pressure, like in terms of weight on, on the, uh, uh, the hip uh, by standing up, mm-hmm. and it's happening for no reason. And be it whether I sleep with that sore hip up or down, right. it, it causes me that discomfort. Yeah. Throughout the day, occasionally it'll bother me. But Sometimes it's not- if I'm sitting in a car for a long drive, it'll start to bother me. Uh, but throughout the day, not always. So if I go to the doctor today mm-hmm. uh, and he's feeling around, poking, turning, you know, there may not be any kind of discomfort. Well, that that's yeah. not not true because if someone knows where they're poking, they'll probably find it. But that type of presentation, when somebody uh, says that it's really really bad uh, at night. And when it's better during the day, we need to simplify that and just simply say that means it's better when you're not when you're moving around, when you're doing things versus when you're not doing anything. It's worse. That starts, again, to point in the direction of soft tissues, because our muscles, once they get warmed up and they start going, they tend to function better. So it does still support my idea uh, based on our conversation that it is probably more soft tissue related and, and not necessarily, you know, like a disc herniation or anything like that. So, again, if someone knows what they're doing, they'll be able to poke around and do testing to figure it out. It doesn't uh, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but that's, you know, also hearing the patient, what they're saying is important to take into consideration. And that's one very important fact that you're saying that it's much worse at night, which means those are the points where you're not moving. You're not using those muscles uh, versus in the day when you are moving around doing things, it tends to be better. And that that helps to tip us in, in a direction of of what could be the the pathophysiology is what we would term it, what is actually causing the pain. If I uh, do come and see you, like I, I did, I have had an x-ray done. I haven't seen the result because if I ask the doctor the result, he's going to say, well, I'll wait till you do the MRI and mm-hmm. we'll put it all together. Right. Uh, yep. If I do come and see you, uh, am I able to bring uh, the results from the MRI and the x-ray to you so you can... Absolutely. Yeah, well, I encourage everyone, the more stuff you bring me, the better it is, because it'll help me put a clinical picture together. It may prevent me from ordering another test. Like, you know, if someone comes in and they've already had an x-ray, but I don't have access to that x-ray right away, I may have to send them for the x-ray and, you know, to minimize the exposure to radiation. For sure. You know, the more stuff that you have when you come and see me for anybody, always better. Ted, moving forward, and for you as well, one eight five 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 five. doctor Lou is the number. Time for you to call in and talk to us. You still got till 1 o'clock this afternoon. And that number, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Info at paincarecanada.com and Dr. Payne on social as well for any time. The Dr. Payne Show continues talk radio, AM 640. Plenty of time for you to call in till uh, till 1 o'clock here this afternoon. You mentioned last segment of warming up the muscle. Now you've taught warming up versus stretching muscles. Yep. Some people prefer stretching. They think stretching is better. You, you argue that point. 
It depends what they're stretching for. Right. So oftentimes when they've looked at research uh, stretching from the perspective of injury prevention, what they actually find, and the the thought was, you know, and I think we all remember when we used to be in gym class when we were younger, you stretch so that you're maybe preventing an injury. What what actually ends up happening is that there's... uh, enzymes in your muscles that get functioning at certain temperatures. And once they're functioning at those certain temperatures, it prevents injury. Mm. That can't be achieved through stretching. It has to be achieved through warming up because you have to get the muscles to a certain temperature. So you could do something like a dynamic stretch, uh, and that would be more beneficial from injury prevention. But let's say we're dealing with someone that, you know, has a a tight hamstring, right? Right. In that case, from a therapeutic perspective, we may recommend stretching uh, in order to help lengthen that. Now, even the research on that is is you know arguable because what they've done is they've looked at studies where they hang a piece of meat and uh, with a weight for days and days, and then they remove the weight, and within twenty minutes, it's back to its original no length. Kidding. So the wow. argument is is well, is you stretching for thirty seconds once a day really going to make a difference? So sometimes what people say are tight muscles, quote unquote tight, is just really the length. It's just a short muscle. And so you know the question becomes, can we actually lengthen muscles by intervening? It's, it's a very elastic tissue. I think it's very hard to say. We do include it in, in treatment plans. But again, from an injury prevention perspective, definitely much better to warm up than it is to stretch. And if you are going to stretch, just be dynamic about it. That's going to be Meaning more... what? M- moving through the stretch, right? So let's say you were stretching um, your hamstring again. You've got it on the top of a rail and you're stretching your hamstring right. instead of just holding it there, you know, get your body, your torso bending forward and back from it so that you're, you're dynamically moving that muscle is going to be much better. But again, warming up. So even a light jog, you know, this is also very important for not just athletes, but also people who do uh, physical labor. One of the things when we intervene, um, in workplaces and we teach people how to prevent injuries, one of the things that we'll do is we'll speak to them about, you know, it's not uncommon that these guys that wake up, you know, they're a construction worker, they'll wake up at five in the morning, grab their coffee, Mm -hmm. drive to a site, and then first thing they do is they go in and they start picking up this. Cinder blocks. Yeah, whatever. You You gotta warm up. So I always say, you know, move around first, get warmed up, feel like you're sweating a little, like before you start picking things up and graduate into everything that you do. Because uh, if you don't go that route, that's when injury is more likely to happen. Is these, uh, this is something you can show uh, people in your clinic too, right? Of course. Dynamic yeah. stretching. All yeah, that absolutely. Stuff. And again, it, it, you know, when you talk about stretching, that's kind of a, a treatment intervention. So yeah. it depends on the cause, right? If the diagnosis that the person has, uh, there's some literature, some experience and 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 things to support that um, um, stretching would be beneficial, then we implement it. But if there right. isn't, then we're not going to implement it. So it does very much matter what the diagnosis is before you just assume that you should be stretching or you should be doing this or that. It is very, very important to get the right diagnosis. 416-870-6400-STAR-640 on sale. We had a couple calls there, but they uh, went away like Jimmy Hoffa. Never to be seen again. Give us a call. You've got time to get through the Dr. Payne Show. Talk radio, AM640. We've got uh, Mike and Lindsay. Hey, Mike, how are you, pal? Uh, pretty good. Yourself? Good. What's happening with you? Uh, when I was about 13, 14 years old, I was diagnosed with uh, diagnosed with Oscar Schlater's disease. I hope I said it right. Oscar Schlater's, but close enough. Yep. Yeah, in uh, both my knees. Okay. Now, that was in my early teens. I'm now in my early 30s, and periodically, every couple of months, I will get a pain in my knees that could 
basically take me from a standing position to a drop position in about half a second. Okay. Is it in the same area where you had the Osgood Schlaughters? Yes. Right in there. So, okay, let's start with, for, for our listeners that don't know what that is, is... Um, that sounds like a beer. What is that? <laughs> so, your quad muscles attached to your patella, which yep. is the kneecap, and then there's an extension of a ligament that goes down mm-hmm. to the tibia on the tibial tuberosity. Uh, when we're young, our growth plates are open. Where the where the patellar tendon, uh, sorry, the ligament attaches to the tibial tuberosity, in some younger individuals, because this only Osgood Schlaughter's only happens when you have open growth plates. Uh, it's the tightness in the leg starts to pull on that area, and you start to develop a bump. So some people have a, just below their kneecap. I had that. We'll I have, had surgery on it. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll take a look at that's it after. That's what that's called. Yeah. Wow. So you'll develop a bump, and all it is is because that ligament is pulling on that area, and we've gone through this. As things get pulled in the body, more calcium is laid, bones get bigger. Um, and so children, people that are you know usually under 20, uh, will develop Osgood Schlatter's disease. It's pain just in that area because of the constant pulling and tightness. Now, it's often related to, and this is a good segue for what we were talking about before, tightness in the quad muscles. Mm-hmm. And so as those quad muscles are overused or tight or short, it starts to pull on those things. Now, it is also very common that people who have had Osgood Schlatter's later in life will say, I still have knee pain. Uh, that's because in all likelihood, as you get older, your muscles are going to only get tighter anyways. Uh, and so if you've never really done anything to intervene from that perspective, and, and such as in your example, Mike, it's not uncommon to hear that you still once in a while will get that type of knee pain. Have you ever had any treatment for that knee pain, Mike? Uh, when I was younger, they ended up giving me knee braces and therapy. Okay. And I've been told by my doctor a few times that when it starts acting up, put the knee brace back on. Yeah, I would not say that that's the best intervention. Uh, In those types of instances, usually what needs to be done uh, is there needs to be some work, some manual therapy actually done on the quads and uh, and on the patella itself to just get good mobility in there uh, because what it'll do, it'll decrease the tension on the patellar ligament, which attaches to that tibial tuberosity. And so if you can remove that tension, then the symptoms should subside. Now, another thing that happens under there is there's a bursa, there's the uh, which is a fluid-filled sac that sometimes you can develop a bursitis. And, and that's kind of an inflammatory process. But same thing, those things often uh, develop in response to two much tension and tension you you have to look at okay well where is the tension starting and it would be starting in the quad muscles Mm. uh and you know some of the quad muscles actually attach above the hip so it could also be related to hip problems uh and and that's very common as well so you know again you know the only way to be certain mike is we'd have to uh take a look at it do you do you have a visible deformity on the tibial tuberosity like you can actually see the bump yeah, yeah. So, so there's just probably a lot of tension that's always gone on there. Uh, and this is an instant where maybe stretching is a good idea. So someone like Mike maybe should be stretching their quad multiple times a day to try to remove some extra tension there mm. so it doesn't aggravate that, uh, that knee pain. Okay. Okay, Mike? Makes sense, Mike. Moving forward, one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-U. How common is that? Um, you see a lot of it? Yeah, it's it's pretty common. I don't know how common it is that it's actually symptomatic. So if we actually, you know, took a hundred kids and we actually looked at their tibial tuberosities, mm-hmm. we would probably see a little bit of Osgood Schlaughter's going on, uh, but they may not necessarily have knee pain. 
Uh, so I think that's the more relevant question is how often is it symptomatic? It depends. I'm not really sure. And, mm-hmm. and no one really knows what predisposes someone to it versus someone else. I, I think a good hypothesis is, is, again, if you have a short quad muscle uh, or a tight quad muscle, it's just going to put more tension on that uh, patellar ligament. And as there's more tension, there's more pulling on the tibial tuberosity where it attaches, and that's just going to create a, an extension of bone. And that's uh, essentially what happens. And so, yeah, it does happen. And a lot of kids, the other thing with, uh, with children with knee pain, anytime a child comes in with knee pain, another area that you always have to consider is that the source is from the hip. It's very common for children who have knee pain uh, for it actually to be originating in the hip. I actually am an example of that. When I was young, I, I think I was only four or five, had knee pain that was developing, and it was related to something called avascular necrosis in the hip, which is essentially when uh, the the head of the femur that attaches to the acetabulum uh, starts to die off. There's no blood supply. Uh, And so some people will develop uh, avascular necrosis. It's very, very rare. Uh, But yeah, it is something to always be considered that when you have a child with knee pain, you should be considering that it could be originating at the hip. Lots more time for you to call in. We'll take a short one, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell, and info at paincarecanada.com, and Dr. Payne on social as well. It's the Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. 1252, Dr. Payne Show, got a few minutes here to call in, got some time, got some open lines if you want to have your questions answered. Amir, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Good, what's going on with you? Um, I had a ACL surgery about a year and a half ago, but I didn't really follow up with um, with the treatments after and the physio. So I still have a little lump uh, above my knee, like inside with the muscle or whatever the injury was. And sometimes I have a little bit of pain. I was wondering what I can do. Well, again, I've, the most important thing would be any time after a surgery, one, a big component is obviously the rehabilitation component with the therapy. Now, in the absence of not having done that, because we can't go back in time, that doesn't mean that you can't do some therapy now. Uh, and that would probably be uh, the best idea to, to figure out exactly, you know, what's going on. Uh, and then from there, do some therapy uh, around that. And, and the problem should get better. Again, once these things uh, stick around for longer than three months, they're often termed chronic. And anytime something becomes chronic, it is much harder to fully, fully resolve. So uh, I would obviously, you know, and and in your case, Samir, we can't go uh, back, but any listeners uh, always, always after surgery uh, do the recommended rehabilitation because uh, it it definitely improves the outcomes of the surgery. Um, Do you still have any laxity in your knee, Amir? Um, not really. Uh, you know, I did do some treatment, uh, but I didn't really do it completely. But I, I, I go jogging and I do other things on my own, but I really didn't follow up with uh, the rehab thing. But overall, I'm okay. It's just once in a while I have some pain. So where is the pain that you do have now? Um, the pain is, I can't really pinpoint. It's generally, it's, it's like a burning sensation that penetrates right in the middle of the knee, like, more to the side. It's on the right knee, so to the right side of the knee where that little hollow point is on your knee. I don't really don't know the, the, the yeah. medical terminology. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, it could also... You, you, I mean, in healthcare, you're allowed to have an ACL issue and then develop a different type of knee pain. You may also be developing what's called patellofemoral pain syndrome, which is just the way the patella tracks uh, might sometimes put pressure on one area. And it kind of sounds like you're describing that. And again, that's that's actually not that hard of a 
of a syndrome to treat. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's too late for you uh, to go in, get it taken a look at, and get uh, um, you know some good therapy. Give us a call; we can help uh, find somebody in your area that can help you with that. How's that sound? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank Thanks, Amir. One eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. How important is it? And I know I, I have family that are, are regimented about this. Following the fer- uh, therapy after surgery, you got to do it. Yeah. Well, even more, you know, and it doesn't just. We can even talk about doing therapy prior to surgery, which right. is uh, termed prehabilitation. So the healthier you are, the more likely you are to heal. Which so is why athletes repair quicker. Exactly, right? exactly. And athletes also have a very important thing, which is they cognitively uh, want to be better. They'll yeah. do everything that you tell it's them. Their they are, yeah, they are the best uh, people to deal with from this perspective because, exactly as you said, their their paycheck depends on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they understand they'll do what they need to do to get back. But, you know, anybody that's scheduled for surgery now, prehabilitation doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be in someone's office three days a week doing all this stuff. I would say the most important thing prior to surgery is having good cardiovascular health. Right. Mm. So so if you're you know, you're about to go get a surgery, uh, having some type of, you know, cardiovascular activity added to your uh, lifestyle is going to be very, very important. And then, yeah, John, as you said, following your surgery, whatever the recommendation is, you got to follow through it because if you don't, it just hinders the outcomes of recovery. Uh, and, you know, these surgeries, again, they're, you shouldn't look at surgery as just what the surgeon does in that operating okay. room. The surgery is the whole process of surgery and rehabilitation. And, and I can I almost can't even think of any surgery where there wouldn't be some type of a rehab uh, component uh, with it. So uh, very, very, very important. And as you've often said, surgery is not always the, the key to getting rid of pain. It's not always nope, for that. It's for nope. function more than anything. Right? Yeah. And it depends on which areas, like, you know, the, the osteoarthritis that we talked about mm-hmm. early. So when you do have uh, really bad osteoarthritis in the hip, for example, and the pain is in the groin area, right. hip replacements tend to be very good at getting rid of that type of pain. But sometimes people that have hip issues will also say, I have pain in the back. It's not as good. So so some surgeries for some pain, especially hip and knee, sometimes can be good uh, to get rid of pain. But more often than not, I do think that, you know, and it's everybody's job to make their own choice on whether they want to go through with mm-hmm. something or not. I would always say make your choice based on is it going to improve your function? And if it's going to improve your function, then it's probably more worthwhile. If you're just worried about pain, there may be better answers to that. Um, and that's maybe, maybe surgery is right. the answer, but that's where, you know, getting multiple opinions, seeing someone who's well-versed in pain management is the key. And so, you know, people listening, give me a call. That's you that's bet. the key here. And number one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U, info at paincarecanada.com. Three email, more information. And simply Dr. Payne on social as well. Till next time, the Dr. Payne Show next weekend. Talk radio, AM 640.